I'm Satya Nelms, and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Joining us in the garden today is Anwulika Anibo. Born in Nigeria in 1987, Anwulika is a visual artist, homeschooler, and the development director at the Invisible Institute. Anwulika lives in Chicago with her child, Afam. What is a mother? When you hear the word mother, what comes to mind? Oh, for me, a mother is like a chief experience officer in the Mm. family or like an experience creator, like the curator of like your early adult life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, oh, like, like a mother makes a world. Like, I think something that I really feel strongly is that like, you have this ability to really create the world that your child lives in. Mm-hmm. And I think mothers do that, you know. Um, but also, like, the mothering, it, it's an act, right? Like, it's an active thing. So you can mother an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you can mother a community. Um, you can mother a friend. You can really mother anything. It's that, like, process of, like, putting your your energy and like your your richness and your nutrients into the soil that someone is trying to grow in Mm. and like that 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 giving of the essential of what is essential in bringing life is what mothering is i think Mm. um um i love that but i i read like i'm sorry no go ahead I, the la- the last thing that came to my mind is something that I um, the I'm Igbo in mm-hmm. so I'm from the Igbo tribe in Nigeria and I read somewhere that there's a Yoruba saying that there's no greater God than a mother mm-hmm. and um, sometimes when I'm really like I'm going to have to forge a path for my child or like I'm really going to have to advocate or do something that's scary mm-hmm. um, I think about that. Um, yeah. I think about that. No, that, you know, I I was having um a conversation with a friend about how when we are in relationship with another person, it can be really challenging because we are each a universe unto ourselves. And we spend our whole lives really learning the intricacies of the universe that we are. And to be in relationship with anyone else, whether that's a romantic relation or any other kind of relationship, you know, that is, that is getting to know a whole other universe and learning to interact with a whole other universe. But I hadn't made that connection that you just did about, you know, a mother creating a universe, you know, a mother creating a world and shaping a world, um, that, 
Wow. Wow. So when you think about who shaped you, um, who, you know, who is your mother, who mothered you, who are the people or who are the communities that come to mind? Um, I immediately think of my older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we, we had a period where there was no one on earth we could call our mother. Mm. Right? So in the period between when our birth mother died and before we were formally adopted, all we had was an aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And it, I mean, and, and that aunt eventually became our mother, right? So there was a point where, where it was like, oh, and, and now the same woman who we were calling aunt is now our mother. Mm-hmm. And that process of being able to use that word, mm-hmm. again, was, a, was an interesting process. But in that interim, what I had was my sister. And my, I think my sister really took on that role mm-hmm. and really tried to... Um, mother me in that, in the sense of like a mother not expanding a world, but trying to like contract, trying to help you stay in a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was my, I, I think that had, that really shaped me in a lot of ways of constantly I think my sister and I are drastically different Mm -hmm. and um that experience of having her kind of say this is what you do this is what you don't do you're not doing you shouldn't do this this is too loud or like this will bother auntie so you need to like not do this or like let's try to walk this narrow path because we're in this sort of situation where we don't have a mother Mm. Right. And so if we don't have a mother, you have to stay in some sort of line because there's like the, um, that level of forgiveness that comes from a mother or patient just is no one has that same care for you right now. So my sister really tried to help me stay in some sort of line. And so that's the voice in my head. Mm. Um, um, and that's the voice that's kind of stayed in my head. It's like that checking of like, mm, your instinct is usually the, you're a little bit of a wild girl. So like maybe <laughs> you should check with yourself. Are you sitting right? Are you doing this right? And so I think my sister definitely is my, the only person that I feel like has really tried to mother me in a, in a, in the sense of, like, trying to actually be my mother. Mm. Um, but but in terms of, like, mothering, oh, God, there's, I mean, I, I just feel like the woman that comes to mind is Audrey McCluskey. She was one of my professors in college. Mm-hmm. Um, Audrey McCluskey came to mind. She taught, like, a first-wave black feminist mm-hmm. class, black women in the diaspora, and just gave me so many books to read and she gave me Sisters of the Yams to read mm. and I read it fully again year, like recently actually I think last year and really realized how clearly she saw me in hindsight mm-hmm. um, 
it's almost like she could she could she could see me better than I could see she could see where I was better than I could and mm-hmm. really gave me all the tools to dig myself out of the hole that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really fortunate at Indiana University. I ran into oh my god, my good friend Siobhan Carter David. I met her in the library. <laughs> I had I I had Afam when I was in college, and so Afam must have been um uh, maybe a month old. I was in the in the Black Studies Library, mm-hmm. and Siobhan came in. She's from New York. She's super cool. She had just cut off all her locks, mm-hmm. and she had, like, one lock that she had, like, left on. And she um, she just walked up to me and was like, what? Is that a baby? And I was <laughs> like, yes. And so she was like, girl, you, like, that little tiny baby. And she talked to me, and she came over with clothes, and she introduced me to a lot of other women that became so. We're actually having a Zoom call and meeting up tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, Kimberly, Heather, women who just, like, advised me and loved me and mothered me as I became a mother, Mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like my strongest group of women that, that mothered me, I found in that early phase of motherhood, um, which was really, really formative for me in terms of just divergent thinking about what a mother is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I feel like maybe every woman you meet mothers you in some way, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. And what... What year were you in college when you had Afam? I had Afam before my sophomore year even started. Mm. So I spent, yeah, I I think, yeah, I had Afam, no, was that my junior year? No, I think it was my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not sure. That's weird. Um. I'm not sure. No, actually, it must have been my sophomore year because I lived in an apartment off campus. Mm-hmm. So I didn't make it through by the beginning of my, yeah, by the beginning of my junior year. But I, my sophomore year, I had to stop. So I didn't actually um, finish that semester because mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, like, I, I finished, but I didn't finish in that normal timeline. So mm-hmm. I had some extensions that I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started my my soft, my junior year with Afam. And so Afam was supposed to be born in October, mm-hmm. but was born in August. Mm. And so I actually took the first week off from classes mm-hmm. and then just went to class and just took Afam with me. Wow. Um, yeah, I had my eldest daughter uh, when I was a senior in college. I, um, my fall semester, I was pregnant and walking around, <laughs> going to class, and then I went home for for winter break and came back home and <laughs> finished out the spring with a baby. And looking back on it now, you know, it feels like I'm like, how did I do that? But it didn't occur to me not to, I guess. <laughs> so I just yeah. did it. Um, yeah, so I'm always, you know, interested in, you know, hearing the stories of people with, you know, those similar 
similar experiences and and what that felt like yeah yeah it's it's weird it's weird walking around i mean it completely changes it's a completely different experience of a campus mm-hmm mm-hmm so how uh going back a little bit further to something you said how old were you when you lost your biological mother um, about five. Mm. And how? About five. And what was the window? Like, how long was it between when you lost your biological mother and when your aunt adopted you? Like, when you started to feel as though your aunt was now your mother? Um. So we were adopted about three years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, I think that I I don't know if there was a when does someone begin to feel like your mother? Like mm. it's like a it's like either they immediately kind of feel like your mother or they just are not your mother. Like I mm-hmm. I don't know that it just I don't know for me it just never really it never really um you know it never really occurred to me of like when of like it as a feeling where mm-hmm. I, I think that I often tell people that like I don't I feel like anyone could be your family mm-hmm. right because I had a moment of calling two people my cousins and now I call them my brothers mm-hmm. and so what is family feels very about it's much more about your willingness to accept a person than like the actual possibility of them being family mm. um and so but i also you know my adopted mother nana and my birth mother patricia were were really good friends mm-hmm. and so um they my Nana is married to Anthony, mm-hmm. and Anthony is my birth mother's brother. Mm-hmm. So recently, I, I had a conversation with my mom, and she was my my adopted mom, and she was saying, "Well, m- your mother specifically asked me to adopt you all." Mm-hmm. Um. And I thought that was really interesting because my mother has sisters, mm. right? Like, she's from a big family. She has sisters. And also, this woman is married to her brother. Mm-hmm. And she specifically was like, you. Like, I I want you to adopt them. Mm-hmm. And she did. And there's all of this story about, like, why it took three years for it to happen. But it was a, it's interesting to me because I think that... Um, that, like, what is nature and what is nurture can be really, really fascinating because immediately I understood why the transition was so easy for us because my mother fully understood what she was doing, right? Like, she had a plan. She had a clear understanding of the world around her, and she made this really important decision in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's a kind of a bizarre thing to do to ask 
your sister-in-law to adopt your children when you have sisters that you're close to and when you have a brother mm-hmm. that is like taking care of you when you're sick mm-hmm. and so why did she do that and I was like oh I fully understand because now as a mother um I have a sister mm-hmm. but I also have a best friend and in the event that something were to happen to me it's my best friend mm-hmm. that I would want to take care of Mm Afam. And I I didn't know that. I didn't know that full story when I asked my best friend to, like, literally on my, you know, you get the, you get the um, life insurance and everything. I sat her down and I was like, no, like, for real, because I have experienced this. I know this is, like, a real thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And so to have that experience and then have my, adopted mother tell me the story I was like oh okay so really like nurture is is deep right like my mother and I for a woman that I I really didn't know like I understand her on like a molecular level Mm -hmm. you know like I fully understand and have basically almost lived a really similar experience of motherhood and like making some of the same decisions that she made Mm-hmm. under di- different circumstances, but really seeing why that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense to me mm-hmm. in a way that makes me feel like, okay, yeah, like, I may have lost this woman when I was really young, but, like, I am definitely her daughter, mm. you know? And so... Can you give me an example of that, of one of the ways in which you feel, you know, I, you know, even though I didn't get that much time with her... I truly am her daughter. Oh, gosh. You know, I was so... I was talking to my my biological dad. His name is uh, Charles. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was talking to him, and he was saying, gosh, you know, you, like, you, you are... You don't you really you don't really communicate with me like like you go really long times without calling me and like he's incredibly sweet and is like okay there's more that I should have done and I'm really sorry and I would like to have a relationship with you and one day he I was just like yeah I just don't really know how to give you that you know like this is what I can like give you and you know like I'm just not sure Mm-hmm. the level of relationship I really want to have. Like, it's, it's it's something that I really need to think about. And he said, oh, that, you sound like your mom. And <laughs> I, all I could do was laugh because I was like, I think that you're right. Like, I think, like, I, I, I believe you. Like, I believe you that I just, that I act like her. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it makes, that makes sense to me. Like, it makes sense to me that I have some of these, that in a way I'm living some of the things that she lived over. And I feel like, so I, I am very kind of, um, I have a picture of both of my mother's Polaroids on my, um, on my vanity. And to me, a vanity is an altar. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. a vanity is an altar. And so I have them both, and I often ask for guidance from my mom. Mm-hmm. And to be, like, in relationship with her and to, like, understand what are some of the things that I'm living so that 
I can do it in a different way than you did it, mm. right? And really thinking about that. And that I think that was part of my laughing was like, yeah, like I am in this situation because I need to do something different, mm-hmm. right? Like I do need to talk to you more. Like I do need to give you a chance to, to, to I need to give you a chance to fail. Mm-hmm. If you fail, okay. But I need to give you that chance and I need to be willing to, to maybe to, I need to be brave enough to to open myself up to that disappointment mm-hmm. and not just close myself off to that. And and knowing that like, what are the things that we live over? And it's it's because we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. I think has just been such a freeing experience for me to be like, yeah, we are we are in relationships. Some of these things are happening again. Mm-hmm. And I am present enough in this experience to do something different, and I'm grateful to have that opportunity and that relationship and that clarity. Mm-hmm. So earlier, you said that the voice in your head, you know, is often your sister's um, because of that strong mothering influence. Um, and hearing you talk about, you know, your adoptive mother and your biological mother, you know, this trinity of very strong women, your sister and your mothers. Do you hear your mother's voices as well in your head, you know, that voice in your head? And is there any kind of pattern that you see in, in terms of when whose voice shows up? Yeah, I definitely, I think I've been much more, um, I've been really actively trying to hear my mother's voice Mm -hmm. um, and really trying to, to like hear the ways in which I am like her, right? Mm -hmm. And, And I think one of the things that the more that I am willing to, be less self-critical mm-hmm. the more a different mothering voice comes up in my head mm-hmm. right um i think about i think the ways in which i mother afam mm-hmm. are very much in line with um the way that like my biological mother really speaks through my heart Right, like mm-hmm. if I follow my instincts, I'm much more in line, for better or worse, with her voice mm-hmm. than if I listen to like the self. Because I mean, I think the holding space for the fact that like my sister, we are really little at this time, you know, and we're not adopted, and she doesn't. She's three years older than me, and old enough to really understand what a vulnerable space that is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and to really want me to not cause any commotion so that we can stay in this place that is, like, safe and beautiful with these people who are taking care of us, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, holding space to understand that the voice that's in my head is from a, another child trying to be an adult, trying to keep us safe mm-hmm. as best that she could. Mm-hmm. And, like, holding space for that and being able to, like, move on from that to, mm-hmm. like, fully hear the voice of, like, what um, our mother really wanted for us. Because, mm-hmm. the tr- like, my our, my adopted mother, Nenna, is, she's 
she does not talk very much. She is not the like, do this, don't do that. She leads completely by example. Like she is immaculate. She's like, I, my memories of her, like she would paint her nails. Mm -hmm. Um, and she just, and it always looked perfect. They, her nails are never chipped. They're still never chipped. She Mm -hmm. just, she would, you know, I remember once she took apart the vacuum, like, with all her jewelry, all her gold, she just, like, took apart the vacuum and, like, fixed it and then, like, put it together, didn't take off any jewelry to do it. But then if she was cooking, she would take off her jewelry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she never wore more than one ring on a hand. Like, just like these things, she was very particular in a certain way. She wanted us to be... I have this picture, a family picture, and, like, we look like... We look like the Huxtables. Like, it's like <laughs> that. She was that. That was her, like, very, very, like, when I cut off my hair and I got locked, she was really upset. Like, I mm. had a perm and it was like, all right, this is what you do. And so, but she still let me, she didn't raise too much of a commotion about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I deviated really far from that example that she gave me and I'm sort of also finding my way back um, to her as a mother, mm-hmm. right? Um, to her as an example of what what womanhood looks like, mm-hmm. um, what self-care looks like, what presentation looks like and finding my own balance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think that that presence the presence that she you know maintained was part of and and the way that she you know presented you know how to embody womanhood do you think that was part of why your mother chose her for you and your sister I do I you know but I I think that the the reason that my mother chose her is that she is um, incredibly kind, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she is incredibly, um, if, like, if she says that she is going to do something, mm-hmm. she is going to do it. And she is going to, like, she's, she's, integrity, I think is the word. Like, she, she's a, she's a lot of integrity and a lot of poise mm-hmm. and a lot of, um, Like, she just is very, you know, actually, my, my Afam always will joke. I'll be like, oh, no, we're going to, like, you could hurt yourself doing that. And I'll be like, no, because grandma prays so much, like, I'm good. Like, <laughs> nothing can touch me. Somewhere, grandma is just lighting it up. Lighting it up. He- heaven is just ablaze with prayers for me. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. And I just, it's. So funny to me because in any just like random moments that I find myself worrying, I sounds like Grandma already prayed about that. You're fine, and <laughs> yeah, she just is that. You know, she is that faithful. Like she's like this is, you know, her mustard seed. Her faith will carry me through many, many generations. I'm 100% sure that Afam's kids have already been prayed for all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. And so I think if if you think about that Yoruba, like, there's no greater God than a mother. It's like, yeah, this is a woman that you want to pick because, you know, 
yeah, she's not playing around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it was that, and to know that she would, she would be our mother. Mm. Um, and how has yeah. your relationship with your sister evolved and changed, you know, since that time when you were kids and she was, you know, trying to do her best to keep you all safe? Oh, yeah. My sister, we, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, like we definitely, you know, I just, I, oh gosh. This is this conversation is really deep, actually. So um, we, I recently did the, you know, my friend Akudo put me on this twenty-one days of um, abundance thing, and like Mother's Day came, and the 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 days had been going, and like there was a lot of mother work that needed to happen. So I don't know if anyone who's like listening or if you've done this, but there were like three solid days of like mother work. And it's like, if your mother is no longer with you, envision your mother. Like, try to connect to your mother. Ask your mother to speak with you. Like, it was very intense. And my loving, beautiful friend, Akudo, absolutely sent me a message like, so, (laughs) how are you feeling? (laughs) And, um, you know, it was just really, but one of the exercises was like, what are some of the things that, you know, your mother would want different to want? would want for you what are some mm-hmm. things some things that your mother wants that she still hasn't seen happen mm-hmm. and I was like doing this and one of the things that I wrote was like a better relationship between her children mm. and I was just like wow like wow mm-hmm. um because me and my sister are still from different just completely different mm-hmm. worlds it seems like we are just fundamentally processing life in completely different ways Mm -hmm. and I think that in a lot of ways I see that um my sister is very like I mean the my reactions to my sister are like my reactions to no other person right Mm -hmm. like and I I like my sister once I was telling her gosh this family frustrating thing is happening and she said, I just can't wait till you get married. When you get married, you won't have to worry about any of this. You can just do whatever you want. And I was like, what? <laughs> if I can't do what I want now, I don't want it. Like, I'm about to do whatever. Because what do you mean when I get married? And it was just this moment. And, and, and now I have to, like, unpack that, like, are you just not going to get married because your sister made this comment that made you want to <laughs> flip a table? You're just never going to marry anybody because... She said this thing mm-hmm. that you just, you know? And so, yeah, me and my sister are just, we are just so, that relationship is, it, it, like, I was like, oh, yeah, you are, like, the way that people fight with their mother and feel frustrated and feel all those feelings, that's you. Like, that's how I feel about you. Like, you are my mother. And, mm. and so it's really... It's interesting to try to, like, hold space and say, okay, but, like, this is something that our mother really wants for us. Mm -hmm. And, but I think that, I mean, she's just not in that place, you know? Like, I went to visit her and I said, you know, we, something happened and I was like, we are the only two people in the world who shared the same womb. Mm -hmm. Like, we are the only two people, like, 
does that not resonate? Does that not, like, we should be, this is, like, this, like, I should know this before somebody else knows it, mm-hmm. right? Like, we share the same body with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was just a moment of just being like, you just don't, you are not there yet, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to hold space for that. But we are not, um, we are not. That's not. Yeah. 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 So when you think about those various transitions between, you know, having your biological mom, having your sister, having, you know, your adoptive mom, where are the places that you got what you needed growing up and what were the things you feel like you needed that you know you didn't receive you know honestly I think um growing up after some uh, with a lot of hindsight and therapy and meditation I realized that I think in a lot of ways after my mother passed away, I didn't, you know, in the ways in which I feel like my sister didn't recover, I I didn't really recover either, Mm. right? Like, I think I was always hanging on by a thread, and that's why when I, my transition to college, I think that's why it was so rocky, because that little bit of thread just wasn't even there anymore. That little bit of anchoring that I felt to something just wasn't there, Mm -hmm. and I kind of, have you ever seen the movie, um, Oh my goodness, where she like it's like all the different emotions mm-hmm. and there's like the mm-hmm. yellow one. Uh inside um, out. Up. Yeah. So I watched that with Afam like last Christmas and we I was like, Oh my god, I have to watch this movie again. Like I have to watch this movie again because in the, in that scene where like her they're her last like locus of identity or whatever broke. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And she, everything just turned gray, and she just, like, couldn't even, she just, like, wasn't even present in the world, almost. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, that's it right there. Like, that is a real thing. That's a real feeling. Like, I know exactly, yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's exactly how I felt driving to college. Mm. Like, I was like, that is how I felt. Like, oh my gosh, like, and and the same process of being like, I'm going to have to figure out the role of grief, right? Mm. Like, I'm going to have to figure out the role of grief if I'm going to rebuild myself and really have to spend um, time as I was thinking about, because I had nine months to plan being a mother. And this was when I was like, oh, I am my mother because, yeah, I spent those nine months thinking, okay, yeah, let me, like, plan this out. What are the phases of childhood? What type of mother do I want to be? What are my mother wounds? And, like, really sat and thought about it and used the process of creating a world and advocating for my child as a way to, like, heal my own, to mother myself, mm-hmm. right? And it was just such an interesting, like, like so I, so I say that to say that I don't know what I got and didn't get because I, for, for, from the time I lost my mother to the time I left for college, I feel like I was just like slowly 
turning gray. You mm. know, like I was slowly, as I got older, just less and less able to like deal with the ways the world around me were like pressing up against me without an ability to really navigate all everyone's different expectations and feeling like, you know, like for all the different reasons, no one could really see that I needed therapy or like mm. I needed just a different, I, I mean, I, I'm also like a very, like I'm very huggy. So when I was younger, I really wanted to hug everyone. And that's just not how my family was. They were like, why mm. do you always want to hug? And just slowly being like, okay, maybe there is like, maybe I'm not tough enough for this. Mm. And since I'm not my sister and my sister was like, okay, we're like, we need to be, you know, little perfect children. I was like, I just really fundamentally felt like I shouldn't have to be perfect. Mm. Right. And, and so I think that, and it wasn't even necessarily that anyone was asking me to, I think it was that tension between me and my sister. Cause my sister really was just literally on academic decathlon and just like never lied. And like, I used to like lose my temper and like sit with my legs all in the air and she just like never did any of these things right and so mm-hmm. really just not able to articulate what was hurting me and not even are able to process all of the different changes that were happening I mean we we I came my mother got sick and her brother brought us so Tony brought me and my mother to the U.S. but my early, some of my earliest memory is the plane ride that mm-hmm. we took um from Nigeria to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was sick and she had breast cancer. And mm-hmm. so he wanted, he was a doctor, and he wanted to make sure she got proper medical attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's so why I moved. I left my birth father in Nigeria, moved with my mother. And that I didn't see, I still, I still have not seen him. So that time that I left Nigeria at around five, I have not seen him since then. Wow. Um, and so just so many changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was just, my ability to just weather all of the changes and then regular school stuff, I just, by by the time I left for college, I will definitely, I think I could definitely say I was, like, in full-blown just depression. Like, just mm. couldn't fully process any thoughts. And being in the all. midst of that and then learning you were going to be a mother... How did that feel? How did you make your way through that? With a plan. <laughs> With a plan. Like, and I, and I think that's what just made me so, to hear that above all, when, like, my mother knew she was going to die, what she did was make a plan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that... If, if if there has ever been anything that resonated with me, it was that. I was like, this. she is absolutely my mother. Because... Even through all, we we go to therapy, um, and before the COVID hit, Asam and I actually went to therapy together every week, so and saw different therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my, you know, and and that's been happening for like three years at least. And one thing that always comes up in therapy is like when something is happening, my first instinct is a plan, and so I didn't really when I. When I saw that I was pregnant, I was like, okay, well, you know, my mother had me, right? That was my 
that was the extent of what I knew about my mother, which is like, she was not married and she had me. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, then I should have this child because, you know, no matter what has happened, um, I feel like, you know, I'm like, all right, like, I'm glad I'm here. We're going to see about this kid and I'm just going to do my best and I think it'll be fine. And it, I think I was young enough where I didn't even understand how it would change the rest of my life I just thought okay I'm just gonna have the kid and take care of the kid and then you know mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. um and so I did I just started I just made a plan and started I don't know thinking about like well what type of mother do I want to be and less of like a this is the school that I'm gonna go to this is the city I'm gonna live in but much more of like here are the basic principles of motherhood. Here, are, mm. Here's what I value in um, community for this child. Or, like, here's what I want my relationship with this child to be. And really seeing it as an opportunity that, like, wow. And, like, I'm also going to be a mother and, mm-hmm. like, actually be there right so like this is an opportunity for me to do some of the things that I that my mother didn't get to do with me and I didn't get to do with her and so we'll just do that but I don't really I hadn't I had never had like a close relationship with my mother even my adopted mother so it was also just like oh cool so I'm just gonna I guess I'm just gonna get to do it Mm -hmm. and you know, we'll see how that how it turns out, and I'll do my best. So, mm. yeah. So, when you were deciding on, you know, your plan for motherhood and what your values were, what was important to you in terms of mothering, what were those values? Like, what were those main principles that you wanted to make sure you kept sight of? Um, I wanted to keep sight of like the friendship mm-hmm. right so what I used to tell Afam stories when Afam was like little um, just, just depending on like what was happening and I remember one day Afam made me around five um, and was saying something and I was like oh well you know there was a time when you were my mother and I was your son, and you were such a good mother, and you would do this, and you would do that, and just kind of, like, talking, and really just, and that's something that's continued, like, that's something that was, like, yeah, that, like, to say that, like, you know, your spirit chose me, mm-hmm. right, and, 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 and I think that in, in any lifetime, in any iteration, we would find each other. Whether we were best friends, whether you were my father and I was your daughter, whatever mm-hmm. the configuration, we would be friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like we would find a way to be in community. And I really felt like that is the foundational principle of what I felt motherhood was, is to say that it's not necessary it's a reciprocal relationship that in some ways you know I know you really well but you know me really well too because you are also 
I have no nuisance for us and you have no nuisance for us. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we are, um, it's not necessarily an ownership or like a, I'm responsible in that sort of like overbearing way, but that like you chose me because you trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to just like experience this thing together and I'm going to create a world for you as mm-hmm. best I can. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're just going to talk it out. And, you know, if I can't do something, I'm just going to tell you mm-hmm. that I can't do it. Like sometimes I have to say, you know, I was yelling a lot because I was just stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. Like nothing you do really is like, I, if I'm yelling, it's not because I'm like upset with you. I'm just way overly stressed out. So what can we do? Mm-hmm. Like, how can we create space for me so that I cannot get to that point? Or like, how can you, like, can you hold some space for me to lay down? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, so that I don't get to that space because, you know, I just, I feel really stressed out, you know, and like just recognizing the ways in which we're going to have to communicate, mm-hmm. um, and constantly coming at it from a space of like, I don't know how to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and so I don't have the luxury of pretending like I have this all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and we're going to have to do this together, but you trusted me, and so I'm going to do this and, and do it with a level of integrity that, like, <laughs> if I come back and you are my mother and you remember this, how are you going to treat me, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, and really talking about it in that way that, like, you were my mother and having, and the, so you deserve this. That like you mother, like that is in you. Mm-hmm. Like you have been a mother, you have been a father, you have done it so well, and here it is coming back to you. Mm-hmm. And so when you get older, to know that like if you need to mother, you can't. You mm-hmm. know. Um. So yeah, those things, that was that was what I spent a lot of time thinking about. And did how did you come about? you know, these principles and these values, was it deep introspection or were there resources or guides that you used? How did you come to this? Um, I think it was, I think it was that, um, those years of slowly just stepping further into myself, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of, um, I always think of like the hermit, the tarot card, the hermit, Mm -hmm. um, and just being like, yeah, just just such a level of just being inside of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't, I really didn't get intru- introduced to the text that really shaped me until I read Man's Search for Meaning in high school, mm-hmm. which was something that I really, really appreciated. But I didn't start reading, like, Black Feminist Thought, um until college, until after I had had Assam. That's when I went in search of that, and that's when I found it. And um, so a lot of just, like, my, you know, even I had kind of, like, planned out, like, okay, one day Assam wanted to wear their underwear on top of their pants. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can, right? Like, you can do this because at, like, seven, even if you wanted to, I couldn't let you walk out the house. 
with mm-hmm. your underwear on top of your pants unless it was like Halloween. So I should let you do it right now. Mm-hmm. And we just like walked around and just really just thinking about it. I think that the process of coming up with some of these things, pulling out some of these things that were inside of me mm-hmm. was part of my way of coming out of that hermit phase a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And how do you feel that being black has informed or otherwise affected your experience of mothering and being mothered? I mean, I, I, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think, I mean, the book talks about it in Barton to Seven, where she was like, we are hard on each other. Like, mm-hmm. we are harsh mothers. To each other and we frame that harshness in as in protecting us from a hostile world mm-hmm. um and it's not unjustified mm-hmm. but it still hurts mm-hmm. and um i think that that experience of of feeling so i mean there's so many like little things that happen like my um adopted dark skinned woman mm-hmm. and she just was not having colorism for me. like mm. she just was not having it like i we went to a nigerian party nigerians are colorists don't mm-hmm. let anybody cook otherwise <laughs> they're colorists for sure and this woman was like oh you're such a pretty girl if only you were you know yellow my mom was like mm. Keep your, keep your comments to yourself. And, like, she's not that type of woman. She's mm-hmm. not the type that, like, she, she's normally just very quiet and will just be like, all right, like, you said something foolish, leave us on a path. But she mm-hmm. really stood up for me in that moment of just being like, no, that's not, that's not what we say to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there are all these different layers of things that come up, but at the end of the day, for the outside world in in preparing for the outside world it's just it is really harsh Mm -hmm. and it's really um i think it can really stifle your ability to feel creative and to feel free Mm -hmm. um and i wanted more than anything for afam and for my experience of motherhood to be freer Mm -hmm. you know to be to have locks and trust that I could still get a job. Mm-hmm. Or even the decision to homeschool Assam. Mm-hmm. I still sometimes have moments of being like, who do I think I am? Why do you <laughs> think this is, like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. like, where, how is this going to work? You don't have money. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're not Will Smith. This is not Will and Data. You have to follow <laughs> the path, uh-huh. you know? You don't have, you're, and so just these moments, but then saying like, no, like we, we can have something else. Like my ability to carve a world can be so much more expansive. Like, and to just trust that I think has just been, and also a a moment of recognizing that some of this is about me. Like, Mm -hmm. some of this is about my own freedom and to say, you know, I am freer if you're homeschooled. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad that you like it, but I'm like, yeah, 
after a while, you're like, wow, yeah, so we can we can imagine, we can draw outside the lines here, mm-hmm. you know? And this is really awesome. And it's really, it's healing some of those, those wounds of feeling the confinement. But then at the same time, I'm like, Aslan, you can't be running. I posted a while ago about how my brothers weren't allowed to run in public. Mm. Um, really ever. Like, my mom was like, you need to have on workout clothes and be, like, on a track. Mm-hmm. Period. We grew mm-hmm. up in Valparaiso, Indiana, so mm-hmm. it was very racist. And so I, I have those thoughts with Assam and I communicate with Assam like, okay, there are some things that like, you know, you're not, like you should not take off running down the street. Mm-hmm. Like you might want to miss the bus. Like that, because these are things that I remember vividly growing up and my mother's just like deep level of concern and kind of being like, these are things that you need to think about. But, um, you can be free in all of these other ways, mm. right? So, like, have your freedom, but, like, these things, and, and it's not necessarily, you know, it's not in, a, in an aim to prevent it, right? Like, I think that sometimes the level of of just hurt and just how harsh it can be comes from wanting to protect and prevent. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you can't really prevent it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you might, forget and run and that's okay like there's nothing wrong with actually running it's more of saying how do you make decisions in a moment mm-hmm. and are you aware of all the different factors so that you can make the best decision mm-hmm. right and like but every decision that you make is good that like you are fundamentally good and you are fundamentally free and you are loved and you are safe and, like, that is the, I think that's the tension in trying to, like, mother um, a black child and recognizing also that I think I think class privilege mm-hmm. plays a huge role for me in my conceptualization of what it means to be black. Mm-hmm. Because I also recognize that Afam just does not have the class privilege that I had growing up or my brothers had growing up. Mm-hmm. And... I just, I recognize how different the world treated me when I was pregnant Mm -hmm. than it treated me before I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I recognize the opportunities that are available to Afam and the ways in which um, I am actively trying to compensate for the lack of class privilege. Mm. because I've seen it up close enough to know that, like, oh, no, that's a real, this is a real difference. Like, this is not made up. This is a real difference. This is a real experience of, um, there there are complexities to a Black experience, and class privilege is one of them. I think also Africanness is one of them. Mm -hmm. And really trying to lay some of this stuff out for Afam and Mm -hmm. being like, you know, like, this is a complex world. And, like, when we encounter these things, I'm going to explain some of these things to you. Mm. Um, so that 
you can, or, or, or not, or talk about them. Because mm-hmm. I don't always have an explanation, but I don't want Afam to grow up um, and not appreciate the complexities of his identity or his experience and not be able to actively understand why luck operates the way that it does. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, those are some of the things that, yeah, so that, like, race, class, and then, like, identities within blackness difference. Because um, I think, especially now, I think young black people are much more, I think some of the, even the, the race and the class things, I feel like it doesn't hit them the same way. Like, I hear them say stuff, and I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, you think white people should say the N-word? Like, what's that about? Like, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, so, yeah, I'm just trying to, like, talk and understand um, what, what's happening mm-hmm. and really dig into some of the complexities. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Mother's Gardens. If you want to support the show, you can make a sustaining donation on Patreon by visiting our page, Our Mother's Gardens. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Our Mother's Gardens PC. Our Mother's Gardens is a Honey Bunch of Stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Pata.